0: amen amen it's so awesome to see god moving and i think continues to do that right now i know that there may be some who uh, took part in this time of prayer who has prayed with maybe i know that there are some who are sitting here today and came um, maybe you only know why you're here how you got here who invited you, whatever it may be that brought you this place today, but maybe today is a day of salvation for you. And it's a word that I want to share with you over the next few minutes um, as we as we go through the end of this service and then um, have a time of remembrance and celebration with communion as we close out today. My name's Joey. I, was a, uh, I am a former pastor of this church, um, has been, whatever it may be. Um, literally, in about a week, celebrate a, a year of moving on from here and taking a position at our hospital as a patient and peer advocate, which has been a, an absolute amazing blessing over the last um, 11 months, and or yeah, about 11 months and uh, three weeks. Um, it's been really, really awesome. Um, so it was, a, it was a great blessing to leave. I'm just kidding. It was a great blessing to go there. Um, no, I, I so enjoy the years of, on, on staff here and, and being an elder, continue to be an elder here uh, with some, uh, some great, great people that I get to serve with and uh, meet with on a regular occasion. Turn with me the book of John. Book of John, and I'm going to talk to you this morning about uh, this kind of an Easter sermon in September. Uh, Easter in September we have Christmas in July sometimes this is Easter in September but it's about an interesting guy that I think that many of us can identify with um, who has kind of taken a bad, bad rap over the years um, but it's somebody who had some doubts it's somebody who really really struggled with the resurrection of Jesus and didn't understand what was really going on and I want to share with you uh, some insights that, that I gained from this story and, and really excited about sharing this this morning John chapter 20, beginning with verse 21. If you have that in front of you, to be up on the, the Sky Bible for you to look at. Um, beginning with 21. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, One of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. So Jesus has just been crucified. And here we are right here at the resurrection. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Let's pray together. God, we're thankful. We're so thankful for the time of worship that we've had, the time of prayer, the, the time of, of intercession for each other, for healing that may have happened this morning. God, you are, you are a mighty God. Your promises are real. Your faithfulness is real to each one of us. Move in this place. Continue to move in this place, God, as we worship you, as we break open your word. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. So, Real quick, I want to know if anybody knows what the number 108 means today. 108. Anybody? You're probably here at nine, so don't do that. That is... The combined points of the eagles and the dogs yesterday. A hundred and eight. Here we go. Well, amen, a little clap. Yeah. Well, eagles, a little 59 points. A little different era. We had something we've never had before in the stats. Passing yards. How about that? It does tend to work, you naysayers. Yeah. Don't get into that. Oh, my gosh. Man, somebody run me out of here. we got to run the option. All right. Let's keep going. So this is Easter Sunday. Easter Sunday where we're talking. Easter Sunday morning was a time of indescribable joy. Jesus had risen from the dead. Friday was the day of the funeral, but Sunday turned into some kind of festival. It was exciting. It was almost too good to be true. The disciples could hardly take it in. One moment they were in the deepest throes of despair because their friend, Their beloved, their teacher, their leader had been taken by these cruel men and put to death. That was on Friday. Saturday had been a dark day, almost like death itself. But then came the first day of the week. It was the beginning of the Christian era because it saw the the climax of God's plan of redemption. Jesus rose from the dead in this great triumph as proof that the sacrifice of his life on the cross had been accepted by God to atone for the sins of the world. What a day it was. What excitement at seeing the empty tomb. There was the drama of hearing from the lips of Mary how she had actually seen and spoken to the Lord himself. And yet by the end of that Sunday evening, we learn from John's gospel that things were, weren't, were far from Well, with Christ's followers. The disciples were gathered together behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish authorities. Jesus had risen from the dead, and yet his closest followers were living in fear. I sometimes wonder what God makes of human beings, right? And our fears and the, and the things that we take on. And I, I think back to a time where I was probably most afraid. Just something that really scared me and, and brought fear into me. I was, I was pretty green, uh, an intern working at a church. I was still in school, so I, I would go to the church or, or stay late after an event and maybe work on some school work and use the printer and the copier, you know, that sort of thing. And, and I was doing that, and we had had this event, and I needed to go back downstairs where, where we had finished up just to make sure things were cleaned up and, and lock up and all that. It was this kind of a almost a basement area of the church, and and uh, it's kind of dark. I went down there; the lights were already off, and really cold outside. It was the January, uh, around January, February. So I walked down there. And I was kind of feeling my way through, and to go into these doors, they kind of um, kind of like barn doors, and the light switches behind it. So to push through, and when I reached around, I kicked something. I flicked on the light, and it's a dude. Laying on the floor. I had just used the bathroom, so I was safe there, I thought. But everything else within me was like, run. You know, I screamed, he screamed. We looked at each other, and as I'm literally running out the door, he goes, let me stay. And I'm like, oh, you know, shaking like a leaf, and I just kind of glanced back in, and it's a homeless guy, and he was freezing, and somehow I'd gotten into the church. I said, dude, you stay as long as you want to. I'm out of here, though, right? Man, it scared me. So much fear had crept up into me, and, and we, when we live in those dark places, when we walk through those valleys of the shadow of death, when we're in the darkness, it can be so fearful, what could have happened in the minds of the disciples for such a change of mood, though, from newly received hope to this deep, deep gloom? I think the answer lies in the fact that the disciples had, had not yet had this personal experience of the risen Lord. They'd heard about the resurrection, they'd seen some of the evidences of it. There was the empty tomb, the discarded grave clothes, but what was missing? They'd had this intellectual knowledge. They had been told that this had happened, but they'd not entered it into their experience yet. Let's put ourselves in the disciples' shoes to to see what we can kind of learn from the meaning of the resurrection. Looking back at the event from the standpoint of history, we can see the happy ending. We know how the story ends. But it was different for the disciples on that first evening. You see, they had passed through a tremendous upheaval. For three years, they had left home and loved ones. And it's not like they could text their mama or their daddy or their kids or, and see how they were doing. They, they journeyed long distances, lost contact with the people that they left behind. And now their dear friend had suffered and died on a Roman cross like a common criminal, and all the city was talking about it. The Jewish authorities had Plotted the overthrow of their lord, and they had reason to believe that their own safety was in considerable risk. No wonder they they took refuge behind closed doors. They were scared. They were fearful. This was traumatic. Basically, their team leader had been murdered, and it's still their team. They were disoriented emotionally. They were thoroughly confused. And it's kind of easy for us to pass judgment on them and like you're. It's Jesus, though. How could you be scared you've done so much with him? But it's kind of like the way we treat our own brothers and sisters sometimes. We we pass this judgment on people for what they may be going through, the hardships that they're going through. What may be difficult for me, you may look at and go, well, that's a a pretty simple solution. I think I can handle that, or I've been through that before. What may be difficult for you, I look at and go, you know, I've, I've walked through that. Before, and it was kind of easy for me. But no matter how similar your situation is to someone else's, it's still someone else's situation. I like to take out the the phrase, I understand how you feel. I can't stand hearing someone say that because we can't totally understand where somebody is sometimes. We've all experienced loss. We're called to, to do what we're called to do is to come alongside people. Come alongside our friends and relatives. We're called to be present, to take out the trash, to fix dinner, to care for kids. And my hope is that the disciples did this for Thomas. They didn't just yell at him or say, come on, dude, you got to get along with us. you got to believe what we believe. I just have to guess that Thomas wasn't the only one. He was just the only one who's brave enough to say it. The disciples were disappointed and scared behind their locked doors, but then like this shaft of sunlight piercing through the gloom, we read the words, then Jesus came and stood among them. That had to be kind of freaky with the doors locked, right? There he is. Surely that's God's answer to our needs, though, isn't it? In these times of darkness that we experience, the risen presence of Jesus is the remedy for our confusion, our grief. Jesus' presence clears away that that fog with his words, peace be with you. But, but, one of the disciples was missing from that safe house in Jerusalem. It was Thomas. Thomas. We don't know a great deal about him, but it does seem that he was a natural pessimist. He's been given a lot of bad press over the years and centuries. If something could go wrong, Thomas was the one who was sure that it would. And if you have a friend or family member like that, you're thinking, no, I don't think so. Maybe you, (laughs) right? Right? I did a funeral here yesterday at the church, and we processed over to the uh, Bullet Memorial Gardens after the funeral. And it had rained some during the service, and you kind of hear it. And I'm thinking while I'm up here preaching that, oh, man, I hope it's not raining at the cemetery. We leave here, and we get all the way over there, and the sun kind of comes out. And I walk up to someone I know as I'm walking towards the gravesite, and I said, isn't this sun nice it's not raining Sure is muggy, though, after that rain. I'm like, you're stupid. I, mean, I didn't say that. I wanted to say that. My like, God, can't we be thankful for something? Some, some of us are natural pessimists. And anyway, that kind of ebbs and flows as we go through our life. But Thomas is given that, you know, kind of hangs that sign around his neck. Even another time when Jesus had heard his friend Lazarus had died in Bethany, Jesus announced that he would go there. Thomas's reaction, though, was this. Well, let us all go that we may die with him. Huh? Come on, Thomas. A little hope, maybe. Again, we know the end of the story. We know Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. So but although Thomas may have been a pessimist, he didn't lack courage. He was one of the only ones willing to go to Jerusalem with Jesus and die alongside him. He was not hesitant. He was not afraid. But for some reason, Thomas had been absent on that first Easter Sunday morning when Jesus appeared to the disciples as a group. We could only guess why he wasn't present. I kind of enjoy speculating about it. What was he doing? Why wasn't he there? Was he... He stayed home. He was just so enthralled in his grief and his disbelief. He just couldn't come out. Was he doing that, that southern thing that we do when we grieve? We call it wallering. Was he wallering in his grief a little bit? It's perfectly fine to do so. But we certainly cannot stay there. Because you see, grief and fear can be a lonely place anyway. But when we begin to talk about it, when we begin to share our thoughts... Share our feelings, even our doubts. We can literally feel ourselves coming to the surface after holding our breath underwater. Happily for Thomas, though, he he did return to the fellowship of the disciples. Although he was still in the gloom and this deep despair, but what a surprise he had. He was greeted with the words, We've seen the Lord. Thomas was absolutely astonished. It just, it just couldn't be. It couldn't be true. So Thomas finally comes to the surface. You know what it looks like. And you have that big gathering at your house, and for some reason somebody's made you mad or something's gone on, something, something has put you in your own cave and mad and upset and angry, and you finally coming to the den where everybody's sitting, a little awkward. Surely he said, do what? You've seen who? He put into words the skepticism that he, of his doubt, and he felt, unless I see the print of the nails, and unless I put my hand into his side, I will not believe. He couldn't have stated his condition for believing more clearly. Hearing about Jesus wasn't going to be sufficient to move Thomas from doubt to faith. He insists that he has to see. He insists that he needs to feel. He wants to see with his own eyes. He wants to touch the wound marks with his fingers. He must have tangible evidence. The disciples heard Thomas' words, but there was an unseen listener as well. That's something we all need to remember. The risen but unseen witnessed Thomas' statement of doubt just as he knows ours, whether it's spoken or it's in our thoughts. There are many of us who have doubts. There's some of you sitting here today with a similar thought. How can I believe what I cannot see? How can I believe what I cannot touch? Well, this first appearance of Jesus to the disciples minus Thomas was on Easter Sunday evening. We might think that Thomas' outburst of doubt might have resulted in Jesus showing up again right there, right now. But that's not what happened. Seven more days passed. Can't imagine what was going on for seven days of Thomas hearing the others talk about seeing Jesus and him just not believing, getting tired of it probably. But Thomas wasn't to be disappointed. A week later, The disciples with Thomas present were gathered together behind locked doors, the same place, the same circumstances, seeking refuge from authorities and and further confirmation of what lay ahead for Christ's followers. Then came that wonderful statement. But Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you wonder how Thomas felt. When he, Jesus turned to him, was, was he wondering if Jesus would chew him out, scold him? That's probably our natural response, we would think. Jesus would be like, you believe me now? Thankfully, that's not how Jesus seeks each one of us. The book of Isaiah states, he will be gentle to those who are weak and kind to to those who are helpless. Jesus is gentle. Jesus is patient with Thomas. Jesus calls Thomas' words, I must see the mark of the nails and put my finger in the place and my hand in his side. Well, Jesus said, go ahead. Here are my hands. Here is my side. See and feel for yourself. Can you imagine that? Well, here you go, Thomas. After all this, after Thomas's statement of unbelief, Jesus gives him the invitation, and Thomas doesn't even take him up on it. Because there was no need. Thomas was so overcome with love and devotion, all he could say was, My Lord, And my God. My Lord and my God. Jesus had urged him to stop his doubting and to believe. In a moment he made the transition from doubt to faith. Thomas had doubt. I think because he absolutely refused to say that he understood something he did not understand. He absolutely refused to not believe something that he didn't believe. There's an engaging honesty about him. He wasn't the kind who would just rattle off a creed or, or sing words to a new song without knowing what it meant. The other thing I love about Thomas is that when he was sure, he went all the way. My Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. There was no halfway about Thomas. Yes, he doubted Christ's resurrection, but when he became sure, his surrender was certainty and was complete. In this room, right now, we all have a different journey. For some of us, bumpy at best. However we have journeyed, our decision to follow Christ is what matters. The other disciples had already had their encounter with Jesus, but they couldn't believe for Thomas. He had to make that decision for himself. And that's the same for each one of us. We cannot borrow the faith of our mothers and fathers, our sisters and brothers, our roommates, our grandmothers and grandfathers. We cannot borrow. We can learn from it, but we can't live with it. The decision is for each of us individually. Each of us have to hear the words that Jesus addressed to Thomas as if they were to us. Stop doubting and believe. And those words may be the ones you need to hear today. Stop the doubting and believe. It's not quite the end of the story, though. Jesus had a question for Thomas. Do you believe because you see me? Jesus didn't wait for the answer, which would surely probably have been yes. Yes. He went on, how happy are those who believe without seeing me. Jesus was preparing every one of us that he would not be seen much longer. Faith in a promise would now become the norm. Which brings us to this place today, a place where we have worshipped and we've experienced the presence of God. You have been prayed for, prayed with. You've witnessed that being done. And those who may have never come to the foot of the cross and said, help me with my unbelief, you are here today. And maybe today, today is that day of salvation. I want to give you an opportunity to do that. Right before we move into a time of remembrance and celebration of what God did for us through his son, Jesus Christ. So the words that may need to come from your mouth today, even filled with doubt and unbelief, is to come to the foot of the cross in your own mind and be able to say, my Lord and my God. It may not carry the deepest meaning for you today because of so much doubt and so much unbelief and so much unrest and so much of your life that's throwing things at that. But you know today is the day that that journey begins for you. And we would love to be able to walk you through that. So if that's a decision that you need to make today, here at Connection, we'd love to celebrate that. Right where you're sitting, if that's a decision for you today, right here, right now, just lift your hand up so I can see it and we can pray for you. Anybody at all? I have to kind of wave it. I don't have my glasses on. So we'll assume we're all brothers and sisters in Christ today. And because of that, as a family, we get to break bread together and drink from the cup together. Like we said, it's a symbol. It's a symbol of what Christ did for us on the cross. And the Scriptures... In Luke chapter 22, it says, When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. It's a symbol. It symbolizes Christ's body, and it symbolizes his blood. So for the next few minutes, as we close, the way we do this, we have four stations up here with, The cup and the bread, let's ask you to kindly form a line to come up here and you can take it right back to your seat or you can have it while you're up here. For those who have a a need for gluten-free, all the way to my left, to your right, is gluten-free bread for you. So I'm going to pray and when I'm finished praying, you come. Our God, thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you, God, for what we've experienced today with your presence, so real and abundant. God, be with us during this time as we remember what you did for us on the cross. And that takes our memory straight into what you did a couple of days later when you raised your son from the grave. And we celebrate that, that you conquered death for us. So, God, we thank you and we love you. And it's in your son's Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.